This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset Nation, welcome back. Welcome back to another amazing show. I have Trevor Mock on the episode today. And just a little preview about what we're going to talk about. Just finished up the conversation and it was impactful. I was just ripping notes like crazy. So many good things. We talk about how it's really important to simplify your life, how to focus on the specific things that are going to get you the furthest. And Trevor actually walks through his non-negotiables in business. He talks about how to flip risk in a different way so that it's actually working for you. And he talks about turning dreams into reality. And one thing I want you guys to look for in this episode is this thing called the if-then complex. It was powerful. I know I've experienced it in my life and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So before we jump into the episode, I have to please ask if you guys are listening, if you're enjoying the, the content here, please jump over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button and start consuming some of this stuff in video format. Go and drop a five-star review on iTunes and write up something nice so that we can share it and reach more people. We've been growing like crazy. Uh, I can't even believe how much feedback we've been getting. It's been so much fun. Head to theinvestormindset.com and join the Insider Club to find out more about some of the amazing things that are coming down the pipeline. We have an awesome event, which is going to be happening November 1st and 2nd, the Investor Mindset Summit. We'll be sharing uh, some registration information for that. And for my mindset listeners, we are going to be giving away uh, totally free tickets to that event. It's going to be all online. It's going to be amazing. So make sure you head to theinvestormindset.com, join the Insider Club for free, and get some information about this awesome event where we're going to dive deep with smart people. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited. I have Trevor Mock in the studio today. How you doing, Trevor? Steve, man, I'm, I'm doing amazing. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to hop around with you. It's going to be fun. I love it. So Trevor is the CEO of Carrot, one of the nation's fastest growing companies, according to Inc. Magazine, where they have helped the nation's top real estate investors and agents pull in over 3 million online leads in just five years, closing thousands of deals with their software and training. Trevor lives in Oregon with his wife and three kids and is passionate about using business to fuel their passion and amplify the impact that you want to make in the world. And part of that impact that he's passionate about is helping entrepreneurs unleash their entrepreneurial dreams and finally unlocking the freedom, flexibility, finance, and impact that they've dreamed about. And that's why I'm really excited to talk to him today because he's done amazing things, but he's looking to do even more amazing things for people to get some of that fulfillment. So you ready to jump into it, Trevor? Let's do it, man. I'm excited. All right. Well, I mean, 3 million online leads in just five years for your clients through the software that you've built. That's incredible. You know, in so many ways, people would look at you and say, oh my gosh, I want to I wanna be like you. I want to have some success. But why don't we start out by taking a look back? Hmm. What events or influences from your childhood, from growing up, Kind of led in and shaped who you are today, man. It's it's funny because um, you'll hear a lot of entrepreneur podcasts where the person says, "Man, I grew up with lemonade stands. I was like hustling candy at school and stuff." And and uh, that that was never me. It, it was it was never me. I, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't the guy who was going out there kind of hustling stuff. I think I think early on, I I I probably did think a little bit differently. Like I've got two brothers, one older and one younger, and 
Uh, my older brother would always spend the money as soon as it came in. My younger brother was six years younger, so uh, we, we had a chance to kind of feed into him, but I was always the kid that saved money. So I, I was never a risk taker. Uh-huh. I was never a, a, a guy who would go out there and do the thing that wasn't proven and be kind of like, let's do the thing that's proven and not going to take a much, bunch of risks. But I think I think the main thing that kind of kicked it off for me was um, early grade school. My parents, um, out of necessity, uh, they, there hadn't been entrepreneurs really in their families before that. Out of necessity, they, they started small businesses. Uh, my dad got laid off mm-hmm. from from his work. The company went out of business, and and he thought, man, this might wow. be a great opportunity to try something on my own. And he did. He had some yeah. trials, tribulations, some things that were, you know, embezzlement, hundreds of thousands of dollars from trusted employees. His first business wow. partner, um, it was just like a mess. But this business is thriving now today, and so. For those years, man, I saw what it what it's like to start something and you know, to really grab your your future by by the horns and say, "Hey, um, I don't have to 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 be worrying about someone laying me off for this or that. I can create my own future." So that was kind of what got me started. Interesting. So you were never a risk taker. You were always follow the proven path kind of guy. And it sounds like what changed it was seeing an example your mm-hmm. parents being entrepreneurs. What about that made you decide to change your mind? Because for a lot of people, they'd see all those trials and tribulations and say, exactly, that's what I thought would happen. Dude, and, 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 that, and that was me. That, that was me too. It's so like even when you go into high school and college. So um, senior year of high school, I took a, uh, I, I went into, what was it called? FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. I'm yeah. 37 now, so you can kind of like, you map it back. That was about 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And so um, I did that, but it wasn't because I was interested in business, man. It was, it was because people told me I needed to get more things in my college resume. And what I thought mm. I wanted to do uh, at at, uh, at the end of high school is I thought I wanted to go to, into the medical profession. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, man, I, I, I think it'd be cool to be like a um, a, a surgeon or da, da 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 whatever it was. And I took a health occupa- occupations class in high school and I, and I had a rotation in the emergency room, man. And they did like this minor, minor procedure and I almost passed out. I had to sit down. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not going to be a surgeon. So let's check that one off the box. And um, I went into college just so I could play baseball. I took, I, I got a, a business degree with a marketing minor, but I had no clue what I wanted to do. So um, even even then, man, even after seeing what my parents um, had started to build, I think it was because of the way that I saw them building the business that made me go, well, I don't want to do that. I want to go into something else. And mm-hmm. here's some of the things, and I'll, and I'll kind of map it up forward here in a bit on what I made mm-hmm. sure that I was intentional about creating non-negotiables for in my life and my business to make uh-huh. sure I built businesses that didn't do the things that I saw in my parents' business and other ones I didn't like. But the things that didn't pump me up were... Um, even today, I love my dad to death. He's the hardest worker ever. He's the most positive guy I know, um, except for when it comes to employees. You know, he, he was always the guy who's like, you can't find good people. You can't find good employees. Da, 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 da. So therefore, what happened was he always worked. He worked on uh, mm-hmm. late day, you know, long days, weekends. We'd be out there as kids packing tables and chairs and setting up tents for weddings and stuff like that on a Saturday, taking them down on Sundays. And I think it taught me a lot of work work ethic. It taught me a lot of how to amaze the client, uh, which is that's mm-hmm. something that my dad loves. We brought that into Carrot, but it also taught me that I don't want to do that. I, I don't think that business should be to be grinding forever. I think it should be for four reasons: to give you freedom flexibility, grow the finances, and help you make a bigger impact. And uh, my dad had two of those down, but the other two, he didn't really have the freedom and flexibility. Yeah, well, absolutely. So it, it sounds like 
it sounds like you saw, okay, well, hey, there's this other way. Your dad had lost his freedom when he lost his job. And then he went and bought that business or started that business, started building out. So you saw that path, but I still don't get why you decided to go the risk taker route. Well, I mean, going the doctor route is 100% clear. Yep. I go to school for a million years. And when I graduate in a million years, I get to make <laughs> a million bucks. And then after 10 years of paying off my bills, I get yep. to actually start making money. Exactly. I'll, I'll tell you right now. So in, in college, this is where it changed. Um, I had a, I had a professor named Ari DeGroote. He was the, the business law professor. And it's funny. So I went from what, think I'm wanting to be a doctor to going into college, going, I'm just going to play baseball and I'll figure it out. We'll do this business thing. I didn't dislike business. I, I just wasn't drawn to business. Okay. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. study business people at the time. I wasn't, I, I just wasn't really interested in it. And then, um, what happened was I had this professor, Ari, who was up there. He was like the most charismatic business law teacher you could imagine. And business law should be like the most boring class, but it wasn't. He'd be up there talking about what he's doing in real estate. He, he, he said, hey, I'm an attorney, but I'm also a real estate investor. And he talked about how he's using law uh, to buy more properties and build a portfolio. And he'd start mm-hmm. to tie in his real experiences. I'm going, man, um, that sounds really cool. I, I want to be exactly like him. And so for the rest of college, I set out to, to be an attorney. And I'm like, I want to be a real estate investor and an attorney just like Gary DeGroote. And uh, I got mm-hmm. one of the two right. Um, I failed my LSATs to get into law school two times. Couldn't make it into any law school in the country. Um, but I did buy my first property while in college. And uh, it was a four-unit apartment building there next to the college. Turned it into student housing. Uh, just like literally do Carlton Sheets stuff. Um, my, my dad mm-hmm. had bought me the Carlton Sheets course for 500 bucks off the infomercial on TV mm-hmm. when I was a freshman in college. He said, you don't have to pay for this as long as you do something with it. If you don't do anything with mm-hmm. it, you've got to give me 500 bucks. And I go, cool, I'm going to do something with it then. That's great and incentive. Yeah, man. So, so I did. And I bought a four unit property with none of, none of my own money. I sold on that property today. It's cash flowed from day one. I've never taken any money out of my pocket. Probably got about $150,000 in equity in that property now, and I have other properties since. But I think having having that example of Ari DeGroote um, and then having the support from my father, and my grandfather also owned some rental properties. He was a college professor, uh, not an entrepreneur, but he owned rental properties for the long term. I'm like, you know what? I think this is something that I really, really like. I, I like the idea of going out there and controlling my future like my parents were able to do. I, I see some things I want to change. You know, I, I want to do it differently. Um, but I also uh-huh. see what real estate can do. I see that real estate can be a, a, an amazing long-term wealth builder. Um, I see that real estate's not going anywhere. It's not a trend thing. It's a, it's going to be here uh-huh. for a long, long time. It's just going to change in what people want and what they need. And so I graduated college, man, and, and I just went, well, there's I, all my buddies are getting jobs. I failed the LSAT. I'm not going into law school. At the time, I was bummed, but now it's like the best blessing ever. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife, we got we got married right out of college, right after college, and we moved up to Portland from a small town in Oregon up to Portland, kind of the big city, right? And I said, okay, um, I'm going to give this entrepreneur thing a shot, and I'm not going to get a job for a year. I've got my couple properties. They're not really making me any money. You know, all that money is going into reserves to pay for roofs and like stuff like that. So it's not really cash uh-huh. flowing me much. Um, it's just sitting in the bank. But I'm going to give myself a year to figure this out. And during that year, I think, is when I really flipped my risk profile. That's when I started to look at risk in a different way, and we can talk about it. And that's when I started to really figure out how do you go from, uh, from having a dream um, to then making that dream reality over the course of years with business. And we can dive into as much detail as you want to on that on that part of the journey, man. 
because that's where the magic was the next two, three years. So yeah, tell us what that was. Mm-hmm. So so we we moved up to Portland. Like I said, I didn't ha- have really hardly, I might have had a couple grand in the bank at that time. Um, another little business venture I started in college was I started doing some landscaping. So that's where that couple grand came from, was I would go out, I really like designing things. I like visualizing things. I like I really love vision. Um, but I learned that I don't like execution, which that doesn't work mm-hmm. too well, right? So I'm looking at this landscaping thing and and I was thinking in college, well, maybe I'll start a landscaping business and do ponds and waterfalls. I really liked that. That's what I did in college uh-huh. with four or five clients. But then I realized I don't like the execution, so I'd have to build a team, but I really love the visualization part of it. So let me nix this. I'm going to graduate college. Let me go figure out what I want to do. Moved up to Portland. We got an apartment. And the first thing you got to do is you got to pay your bills, right? So um, I landed a, a really low paying consulting gig um, with a, a family friend. So it was kind of looking back, he probably threw me a little bit of a bone at the time, but he was in the mortgage industry. He was a mortgage broker. Uh, he didn't own the company, but he was a broker. And what he did was he started just kind of work me into, 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 Implementing things that they were already already doing in their business. Hey, can you look at this postcard? Find a good list for it. Can you figure out who to send it to and do that? So it started to teach me how to go out there and do direct response marketing. Um, hey, go through Craigslist and all of the for sale by owners. Pick up the phone and call every single one. It was the worst thing ever. Yeah, but it was cool because it got me over the fear of 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 that uncomfortable feeling of talking to people and selling things that is just you know off of a whim. And so I called hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of for sale by owners. The worst thing ever, but I'm I'm glad I did it. And through that process, he came up to me one day and he pointed at my computer screen. He said, he said, hey, do this Google search. Uh, you know, Roseburg Mortgage Brokers or something like that. And I did it and they weren't anywhere near on page one. I don't remember if they were on page two or page three. He goes, how do we get there at the top of there? He goes, can you do that? Mm-hmm. And up to that time, man, all that I used the internet for was researching college stuff. Um, I wasn't even on Facebook at that time. Like none of that stuff. Okay. And so mm-hmm. that was my first introduction to, okay, you can use the internet for business and let's see what we can do. And all that I did, man, is I told him, I said, I don't know how to do it, but I think I can figure it out. And so I went down the rabbit hole of of learning, of reading the forums. Of mm-hmm. I didn't have much money, so I couldn't buy courses. I didn't have a coach, and I started to test and tweak. And um, uh, through the back half of the, that year, it, it was funny that that year I paid my taxes with with my credit card, which I didn't know that you could do. I don't suggest you do it <laughs> um, uh, at least then, because the fee was like an extra four to five percent. Now you can do it for yeah. a lot lower fee, but. Um, Man, I, I paid my tax with my credit card that year because I just didn't have money. I went in about twelve thousand yeah. dollars in credit card debt that year, also. Um, but it was an amazing year because I said, "Okay, if I can get to the end of this year and feel like I've got momentum, feel like feel like I'm starting mm-hmm. to figure some things out, some things are falling in place, I'll do it for another six months." And mm-hmm. um, I got towards probably the back half of that first year. And I was going, man, I'm not really figuring out how to make money. I'm pitching, uh, pick, pitching marketing proposals to people and it's not working. And mm-hmm. I just completely flip things around. I go, okay, if I'm already pitching things to people and it's not working and I'm already not making money, what if I just go out there and do things for free for people to hone my skill set, yeah. to build relationship, and it might turn into something later? So that's what I did. Yeah. That's what I did. I started doing things for free for people. I said, found people that I wanted to work with and looked at their websites from what I was learning and said, Hey, if you adjust these things, I think it's going to make your website work better. If you adjust this, I think it's going to make it rank higher in Google based off what I've been learning that year. And, uh, people started to say, cool. Um, let's do it. How much are you going to charge? I said, nothing. I just want to do it. I want to help you out. And they're all amazed. And the funny thing is when I did that, 
you would get accepted almost 100% of the time to do the work. And then several of those turned into really, really well paying clients. What I, yeah. I never would have got the business before. Um, so that shifted my mindset there of adding value first before asking for anything. And then the next lesson that I'll toss it back to you was this. Uh, when I was kind of in that period of, of man, am I doing the right thing? Should, should I actually be, be, be doing this? Uh, should I be trying this or should I go get that job that all my friends and family are saying I should go just go get a job? Um, what happened was I'm like, okay, uh, what's the worst that can happen if this doesn't work? The worst that can happen is that I'm going to get evicted question. out of my apartment, which which that would suck, but it's not the end of the world. I'd probably have to move back in with my parents, which, yeah, I mean, definitely not the end of the world. I'd get meals three mm-hmm. times a day, and you know, I'd, I'd be able to figure it out. And I started to look at it and go, man, the biggest risk I could possibly be taking right now is to not chase my dream. The biggest risk I could possibly yeah. be taking is, is to not keep on doing this to keep on going forward because I know I would be regretting it in five years and 10 years. Um, the smallest risk I could be taking is going to get in a job, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm sorry, the, the other way around, that would be a massive risk is going to get in a job. Yeah. Because I know with 100% certainty that I'd be looking back in 10, 20 years and wishing that I would continue uh, to try to be an entrepreneur. It's so interesting how by asking yourself those questions just in the right way, you totally change your perspective because, you know, when all of a sudden you start assessing and understanding, well, what am I really leaving on the table and how big of an impact are those things going to be? Because Mm -hmm. you could have decided to go down the easy path, the path that's kind of pre-built ready for you Mm -hmm. and the path that so many other people would tell you to take because that's what they believe is the path. But by asking yourself those questions, you recognize and realize that, you know, if you if you screwed it all up, you could still go down the other path. Mm. But if you went down the other path, it would be harder for you to go down a new path because all of a sudden now you've got used to this new life, this new lifestyle. Um, another really big thing I want to underline for people there is this idea of adding value first. I think so many people that I talk to, they are worried that if they give value, that people are just going to take advantage of them. Or they are worried that they need to get paid for every ounce of effort that they put in before they even prove themselves. And so when you get started in something, doing it for free is the best Mm -hmm. because you have an opportunity to learn from somebody and to deliver um, some real value to someone else for to make their life better. And in that process, you're actually making your own life better because you're getting a skill that, that you wouldn't have otherwise. Dude, 100%. And the funny thing is, like so many of us will go pay a college. Like I, I went to college. I'm glad I did. Amazing experience, but I didn't really learn anything I'm applying in business or maybe something, mm-hmm. but none of the important stuff. And so we will pay a college to go out there and learn things, but we won't we won't do something for free or even get paid a little amount for um, an amazing potential mentor of ours. And so yeah. th- that's, that's something I've, I've pushed forward in every business I've ran since then is how do we go out there and add value to the marketplace uh, first, not ask anything in return. Then it usually comes back in spades. And I can go example after example of exactly how I've deployed that exact same strategy. Every new business I've started, um, every industry I've gone into to try to, to try to, to, to try to get there and, and build a brand. I've done the same thing, go out there, Find the opportunity in the market, build value without asking anything in return. Oftentimes, not making any money for the first 
X amount of time. And then it just starts to scale really fast with momentum because you've built the goodwill, you built relationships, you're doing it the right way. Sure. Yeah, I love that. And so tell me, you were mentioning this earlier, what are what are the non-negotiables in business for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll kind of bring up speed really quick. So after after that year, I started to figure out the SEO thing. I started to blog myself and 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 get uh, really good at creating content. Really good at figuring out how to make things rank well in Google. Really good at then cool traffic's coming to my website. Now how do I make it to where this traffic converts into leads? And so I got really good at conversion rate optimization. And from that, I created multiple businesses: a, an online publishing company, uh, my first software company that went belly up actually. Uh, eight, nine years ago, we created out of that as well. Good learning uh, lesson, but that's what got me into software. And then with the publishing company, it, it grew really well. I had an amazing business partner there. We're still great friends, but man, I, I got to the point where I was doing work that I got paid really well for, but it, it dragged me down. Like it completely zapped my energy. And uh, it was the weirdest thing because, you know, as a mid 20 something year old guy, I was making uh, low six figures a year and being able to travel and things like that. But we had our first daughter in 2010. And I remember, um, you know, multiple days waking up and sitting there. I'd wake up at nine o'clock, I'd be laying in bed until 10, 10 30. I knew I had work to do, but I didn't want to do it. Like I, I didn't want to do the darn work that I had created for myself, and that was the weirdest thing because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I thought that I thought that when you're an entrepreneur, it means you, um, it, it just like it's like the this holy grail of the the, the clouds part, and the sun shines, like oh my gosh, entrepreneurs like have it made, and I think the vehicle of entrepreneurship can do that. But I think very easily you can create a business that traps you into stuff that that you're not passionate about, traps you into things that 100%. suck your energy rather than giving it to you. And so, how do you avoid that? Because mm-hmm. I feel like so many people get pulled so deep into that. Yep, they get they're they're right there right now, dude. Hundred percent. So here, here's some here's some advice I learned. I, I heard early on that um, a lot of people still tell to me, and I think it's completely false. And I'm going to give people an opposite version of it. Is I was I was at a mastermind recently, really high level mastermind, and an amazing person said this. Like this person, I respect them, and they are successful. I just don't agree with the, with the way that they had said it. Is they said, you know, your unique ability when, um, or you've you've heard unique ability in tons of different ways. Unique ability, or mm-hmm. your superpower, or whatever it is, right? Um, you know your unique ability. When people tell you you're really good at it and they'll pay you a lot of money for it. And I took that advice a lot mm-hmm. in those early years. Tell me, people kept and telling me I'm really good at marketing. People kept telling me I'm really good at building campaigns and doing product launches and writing email copy and writing sales letters. Like people told me I'm really good at it. And I got, dude, I got paid really, really well to do that stuff. And so I kept on, I kept on doing more of it. You, you keep getting the validation from people. Man, you're really good at that, da, 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 and you're and you're making money from it. You think this must be what my calling is. This must be what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And what I was finding, Stephen, was as I pulled back more and more and started to l- really learn about the the concept of unique abilities. I first heard it from Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach. And unique abilities I have found since then are not what I had just mentioned. It's not what people tell you you're great at and what you get paid well for. Now you hope your unique abilities will do that. But if you're missing this one key piece to that, the third leg to that stool, if you're only focusing on those two, if you're missing this third leg, you're going to completely go into a spot that I was where I felt trapped. The third leg is, Mm -hmm. does that work give you energy? Do you have more energy when you're done doing that work than when you started? And that was the one part I wasn't looking at, where I was doing this work and I would be completely drained by the day. And so I started to write down all the things. And over the years, I created something I call the energy audit. 
And the energy audit is mm-hmm. something I do every quarter now. It completely changed my life. It's 15 minutes every quarter, and it really guides you every quarter on flipping your day or your week from energy draining activities to energy giving towards your true unique abilities. And I can, I can give you a link. There's no opt in, man. Like I'd be pumped if people just went and downloaded this thing. Like I just want more people yeah. to use it, but it's just carrot.com forward slash energy. And there's no opt in, nothing, guys. Just go get it, download the thing and go use it. What you do is you draw a line down the middle of the paper. And on the left side of it, you write down the things that, that uh, give you energy. Okay. In life and business. And that's where people miss it, is they just do this on, on the business side. Do it in life and business. And then on the right side, write down the things that drain your energy. And I did that for a couple of years and it kind of worked because if you at least recognize what gives you energy versus draining it, that's at least the first step. There's still something missing because I wasn't moving the needle on, on adding more energy to my work. And so I started to do something different. I said, well, let me give a percentage. Let me give a percentage on my average week. What percent of my average week is energy draining versus energy giving? So like they say, what's, what's measured, what's not measured can't be moved, right? So I'm like, cool. Let me measure this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a gut level thing. Well, it started off being like 70% energy draining versus, you know, 30% energy giving. I'm going, no wonder I'm not loving what I'm doing right now. I'm making good money, but I'm, I, I keep on hitting this, this, this income ceiling as well. And what I found was, was I kept hitting the income ceiling because because deep down, I didn't want to continue doing more of the work that made me successful. So I could never get past mm-hmm. the ceiling. And so you, you, you get your, your, your ratios down there. That, that lasted for a few quarters. I'm like, cool, that's cool, but there's still something missing. Let me now circle the energy draining activities I need to get off of my lap the most. And now let me write down how many hours per week I'm spending on those types of activities. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to circle these two activities here. And I'll give you a real world example here in a second. And then I'm going to go to the, the uh, non-negotiables after this. But I think this part's really important, knowing this part of the journey for me. So I circled those two energy draining activities. I put this one's seven hours a week. This one's four hours a week. So that's about 11 hours a week I'm spending doing that. And then I go over here to energy giving. I go, cool. Once I eliminate that, what do I want to add? And I pick one thing over there or two. And I go, cool, this. I'm going to, I'm going to use those 11 hours to do this now. And I'm like, that felt so good. So that's how I then plan my quarter. These are the first things you need to create processes for. I need to get someone to do, or I just need to say no and stop doing them. And then I'd immediately replace that time with something that gives me energy. And then I can show you example after example of real world thing, real world things to start to create processes for these, get them to other people, VAs or employees as I built the companies. And then over here, I mm-hmm. added these things in that gave me energy. And see, even the things that give me energy now, and they were the same things that did back then. I just didn't recognize them. I love strategy. I don't like execution. Execution, I get mired Uh in execution. But I didn't believe that I could be the guy that shows up to work that primarily focuses on strategy. I'm going, well, shoot, who's going to execute then? So I went and found out people who could execute. Um, I love this stuff. I love talking to entrepreneurs. I love speaking vision. I love, um, I love, I love amplifying leaders and people. I love that. Um, but there's so many things I don't like, which is the, 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 the weeds of doing business. And so over the years, I've started yeah. to really do that. Anytime I feel like I'm getting into an energy drain or I feel like I'm hitting up to, to these, these glass ceilings, I'm like, ah, let me do an energy audit, man. I'm probably spending way too much time and stuff that's not draining my energy outside of unique abilities. Man, it's so, that's so powerful because I feel like as a business owner, as somebody who's working in business, or even if you're just working in a job right mm-hmm. now, that execution piece is so key. Mm-hmm. And as a visionary, as somebody who wants to create, you know, create the view and the vision of what we're going to do and, you know, come with these ideas and just wants to see them executed and implemented and focus on the things that really fill me up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, 
I get caught up in that feeling where it's like, shoot, I, I got to lock down. I got to do this stuff, even though it doesn't give me energy. How do you go about finding the right people? How do you go about finding people who are executors and really enabling them to succeed so we can succeed? Yep. So, so this is going to go all the way back to the story with my dad. Okay. So in that time period, as I'm looking at this energy out and I'm looking at the business that I thought that I wanted to create versus the one that I did. And I had two or three businesses at that, at that time. What you'll find y'all is when you're doing things that drain your energy a lot, uh, you start to get this serial entrepreneur mindset where like, well, I see all this, opp- I've had some success, but I see all this opportunity out there. I'm going to start this business and partner with this one and this one. And so I had like six businesses. And they're all doing mediocre. And what I was what I was looking uh-huh. at, Stephen, was going, man, I'm just trying to run away from my current business is all. I'm not like this amazing business magnet. I'm just trying to find something that, that charges me up more. Uh-huh. So that year I trimmed everything down. This is 2012. I completely trimmed everything down. And I said, okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with a set of non-negotiables. Of, of that I'm going to work for. So I'm going to answer your question here. And then it goes back to my dad because the non-negotiables and then the mindset that I adopted from watching my parents grow their business of you can't find good people, da, da, da. That's what trapped me into doing so much the work I hated to do because I thought I had to do it. But in that year of 2012, I read a book called The Pumpkin Plan from Mike Michalowicz where he talks about this, mm. this analogy and this analogy of a pumpkin farmer and how, and, and, uh, you know the ones you see in TV where they grow these like world record setting ginormous pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And Mike McAllis was interviewing the guy who had won the one in his state or nationally or whatever it was. And like, how do you grow these big pumpkins? Mm-hmm. And the essence of it was the guy said, okay, you've got to first find a great seed, a really good seed. It can't be just any pumpkin seed. It's got to be a seed that's going to grow a giant pumpkin, like certain types of seeds. Uh-huh. Number two, uh, you plant several of those. Number three, you water the heck out of it. And then eventually you're going to see it sprout and you're going to see these vines going out there. And um, then you see these pumpkins pop up on the vines, a bunch of leaves pop up on them. He said, to grow the really big pumpkin, you need to go out there and go, well, these three pumpkins on the vine have the most promise. Let me trim every other pumpkin, every other leaf on the vine, get rid of them all except for those three pumpkins. Water, water, water. You're going to see them grow, grow, grow. Then you're going to find one one pumpkin that's got the most potential. Cut the other two off. And then you ruthlessly cut everything off of that vine until the pumpkin's ready to go to the competition. And he said in that last week or two, you start to physically almost see the pumpkin growing because all of the energy, all the water, all the nutrients goes to one spot and grows one thing really well instead of going to all these different leaves and all the different pumpkins on it. And so I read that and I started to look at my own. I'm like, my vine is way too full. I've got way too much stuff going on. I'm going to trim everything but one thing, uh, one idea on the business side. And so I did that. I simplified my life. Um, I started to take care of things at home that, that I wasn't taking care of. I started to fold my clothes in my dresser and my closet was always mm-hmm. dirty before that. It's been clean for eight years now. Uh, I started to simplify things in my life. And then I, I sat down and I said, okay, what do I want my business to look like now? And that's where the non-negotiables came up. And the first thing on there was have a singular, have, have singular focus on one big thing. Um, so no more bunch of multiple business stuff, things that I think I'm going to be running. I'll invest in businesses, but I'm not involved in the operation of, of them at all. Uh, next one is, is, is have fun. Uh, my previous business, I just wasn't having a lot of fun in. Uh, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one was uh, build a, um, a valuable asset. Uh, which uh, my previous business was kind of, it was a boom and bust type of a business where I'd make a bunch of money uh, one month, but then I wouldn't make a bunch of money the next month. Um, and so I'm like, I want to build an asset that if I wanted to, I could sell it. Um, uh, part, part of number two was ha- have fun and have a big mission. I believe in at my core. Number three, consistent and predictable. 
Uh, my previous business wasn't that. And I started to adopt that mindset at that time, Stephen, of man, entrepreneurship should provide you those four things, freedom, flexibility, finances, and impact. And my previous business did not give me freedom and flexibility because every month I'm like, ah, oh, where's my income going to come from this month? And you'd look at the end of the year and I had a, I had a really good income on my tax statement but I was stressed out every month knowing where my income is going to come from the next month because it wasn't consistent, predictable. Number four, you know, build a long-term valuable asset. Number five was live on purpose uh, with my and, and focus on my unique abilities. And you can see I'm looking down at these because they're on my computer every day. Like they're here, they've been there for eight years now, yeah. almost uh, six years. And so those are the those are the non-negotiables. Now I took those and I said, okay, these five things are always going to be true about any business I run moving forward now. And so then at that time, I didn't have Carrot. Um, the Carrot wasn't a business idea. It was kind of like this little side project with my publishing company. It was honestly a big pain in the butt. And the only mm-hmm. thing that was left to trim off of my pumpkin vine um, before, I, before I had just one thing left, which I had a consulting business to help people do marketing at the high level big companies. I'm like, I'll mm-hmm. keep this business. Uh, I don't want it to be my long term, but I'll keep it until I find something bigger. And then I had about a hundred people on this web hosting platform that were real estate investors that came from my publishing company that I had really simple WordPress websites up that converted well, but they were paying me like nine bucks uh-huh. a month or nothing. And I go, man, I've got to trim this off. It's a pain in the butt, the worst business model in the world. Um, and I was getting ready to send an email to everybody. That was going to say, "Hey, here's your files to your websites. Um, here's a couple good reputable web hosts. Just take those over to them, and you know, thank you for for trusting us. And uh, you, you go work, work work with them now." And a buddy of mine walked into the office, and uh, he's a contractor. He walked into the office uh, later that week, and he said, "He said, man, can you pull up my website?'" And I did, and um, it was like a GoDaddy website or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes. I'm, for number one, hardly anyone makes it to this website. Number two, I don't really get any leads from it. People were telling me that if I just I need to get a website, and I did, not, it's not really doing anything for me. And immediately, I could identify four, five, six, seven things you should do. I'm like, well, you need to do this. Of course, it's not converting because mm-hmm. it needs to do this and have this thing here and do this. And well, if you just make mm-hmm. these adjustments, it'll rank better in Google. And of course, he didn't know how to do it. And I'm going, man, this whole website thing I was about to cut. This isn't a real estate thing. This is a small business thing. This is a this is a mm-hmm. bigger vision. This is a, the the previous ten years, two thousand two through twelve. Mm-hmm. The whole call to arms for small business was get online. It wasn't it wasn't build something that performs. It was just get online. And so I, I saw the opportunity there. I took those non negotiables. I'm like, I think I can build a business that matches all of these and solves this problem. And I know real estate really well. Let me hyper focus on real estate first. And so getting away from the mindset of building a te- of, of building a team. This is where this came in is. My dad always told me you can't find good people. So that's why I took everything internally and did it all mm-hmm. myself in those original years. And I said, if I'm going to build a business that matches these things, I cannot focus on my unique abilities if I'm doing everything. Um, I cannot yeah. live on purpose if I'm mired in all this detail that drags me down. Um, I can't build a, 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 a consistent, predictable, valuable long-term asset if it's all on my shoulders. And so right there in that time, I started to look for better examples. I'm like, there's businesses out there who love employees. Let me find who they are. Let me see how they're doing it. Yeah. And that was kind of my next three, four, five years is shifting my mindset to go, number one, you've got to, you've got to believe that there's people out there that love to do the things you hate. Um, I didn't believe that. Uh-huh. I, I thought, well, of course, no one wants to do this crap task over here. I don't want to do it. Therefore, no one wants to do it. So I'm not going to find anyone to yeah. do it. 
You got, you got to get rid of that mindset. People love to do the things you hate. You need, just need to find them. Um, number two, I didn't pay myself for the first 18 months. So I, don't, I don't suggest everyone do that, but that's what I chose with Carrot. I had a side income coming in and I said, okay, I'm going to not, uh, my previous businesses, I tried to net as much as I possibly could at the expense of, of my happiness sometimes. Uh, mm-hmm. And my happiness was I'll just do more work instead of having people help me. And so the, the mindset I took moving forward in this one was, cool, I'm just going to take the minimum that I'll have to take and I'm going to put it into people so I can immediately get my the things that drag me down outsourced to other people. So yep. That was mindset number two. And mindset number three, dude, is you've got to have a big vision. Um, you can see one of, one of my non-negotiables was, uh, well, two of them right here, the first two singular folks on the big thing and have fun and have a big mission. I believe in at my core. During that time, I started to go, man, what, like, what do I want to do? What do I want to impact? And as soon as I started to evolve and create that over the next two, three years, people then want to follow you. They want to come aboard. People start to flock to you yeah. to want to help you on that vision. I love that. Yeah, and that, that's really the key to scaling. That's really the key to being able to go beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't have been able to buy and flip 200 houses in the last two and a half years without people. Yep. Even with those people, I had a lot of headaches, a lot of challenges, a lot of problems, mm-hmm. a lot of missed opportunities yep. to be a better leader, a lot of opportunities to grow. But because of that, I, we were able to learn so much more because we ended up scaling up. Mm. Now, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of other challenges that come with scale and with, with growth. But, you know, when you're able to get out of your own way, you can really focus on the things that you're the best at. Mm-hmm. You can find the right people to kind of help. So on a different note, with the few minutes that we have left here, talk to me a little bit about how you define success and what success is to you. I mean, that's, it's, it's such a good question because um, my, my definition has changed over the years, right? Uh, originally, success to me was was the the things that are outward that you can see outward. It's income level. It's they running this cool enterprise. It's um, I mean, so so many of the items initially were 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 somewhere based around income. You know, one if I hit this mm-hmm. revenue level, then everything will be amazing. And when when you're in this if then complex, you're continually in a spot where you're not happy. Because you'll have that, you'll have that mm. jolt of happiness because you reach this goal, but then it lasts not very long at all because you're in an if-then complex. If this happens, then I'll be happy. If I, if I if I get married, then I'll finally be fulfilled. If I reach this income level, then I'll finally blah. No, that never happens. Wow. You always move the bar. What what my what my definition of success is today is is kind of more based around the unique ability stuff. Is that you spend the majority of your time doing things that fire you up, that give you energy, and that you truly feel that you're adding uh, the best value to the world that you can currently add. And it has nothing to do with what I'm what I'm subtracting, which is what I was looking at before. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're spending the most amount of time possible doing the things that light you up, uh, so you can light up the world and just kind of grading yourself on that all the time. Am I am I trying to subtract and bring things in more or am I trying to put out more uh, with my unique abilities? That is a huge mindset moment right there. I think you just blew my mind with that whole idea of this if-then complex. I know I've fallen into yep. it and I'm sure we all do, but that's really that's really powerful. So with that said, do you feel like you're living a successful life. Yeah, I, I do, and, and honestly, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, just be transparent here, that I still struggle with a lot of the things I'm talking about here. You know, I still struggle mm-hmm. with uh, going to a mastermind for software company owners, and you see guys doing twenty million a year, and we're doing just a, we're doing better than I thought we would yeah. ever do. Like, 
I literally thought, man, if we can get to a thousand customers, that'd be amazing. You know, we're sitting here, faster than software company in Oregon, way bigger than a thousand customers. And there's still things where I pull back and go, well, why aren't we doing this? Like, well, that guy's doing that, and well, maybe we should be there. And so I, I have to continually use use those tools I talked about um, to to be able to yank myself out of it. But I I really do feel that that um, I'm living a successful life right now. But also I have this I have this sense of um, I, I have this sense of I'm nowhere near finished yet. I think I think contentment mm-hmm. is 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 good in certain parts of your mindset, but contentment is not good in certain parts. And the parts that um, contentment that I still have a tough time with right now, Stephen, is essentially I'm not content to sit back and go. I think I've made the impact that I'm here to make yet. I'm making the impact, but I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. I am content in the income that I'm making. I am content uh, in in the, the fact that I have amazing friends and family. I am content that I have a great team, but I'm not content that I that I uh, am done building an amazing team. So it's this yeah. wrestle with it, man. It's it's a wrestle. Just always, always, just adjusting, <laughs> figuring out exactly how we can be our best. Right. It is. So from a habits perspective, what are some of your keystone habits? The things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that lead you to a good life? Dude, awesome question. Same thing, it changes. Um, if you had asked me my habits mm-hmm. that I need to adopt in 2012 versus today, they're completely different. 2012, when I was needing to really simplify, the habits I needed was to simplify my life. Like that was the big things. And and um, at that point, like, like I'd mentioned, the big habits I was adopting was getting rid of some of those things that I had grown up with just and generally being messy. My wife is insanely clean. Um, I gave myself mm-hmm. this pass. Oh, I grew up that way. It's like that's just kind of me. I need I need my space to be messy, and no, that that was the mm-hmm. big habit then. Is I'm just pretty darn clean now with with some spaces of not being messy. But today, a uh, couple of habits that are big, man. Two years ago, I, I made the the massive mindset shift that uh, that I need to focus on energy all the time. Okay, energy is a big mm-hmm. thing for me. And so I made the shift a uh, carte blanche October t- 2017 that I was just going to be working out all the time now. I was going to drink a crap load of water every day and I'm going to eat better. And that happened literally in a day, October uh, October 2017, uh, 2017, where I'm like, I'm going to drink at least 100 ounces of water a day. So you'll see me pack around my, my carrot water bottle all the time. Like I'm packing this thing around all the time. I drink at least two of those per day. Those are 32 ounces. And then I'm usually drinking mm-hmm. another four or five of these every day. And I never thought I could drink that much water, but it completely changes yeah. your life, dude. Like completely changes your life. Totally. Um, number two is I work out at least four days a week. Same thing changes your energy. Um, number three is I just, I, I still, I'll still eat the burger yesterday. It was my, my boy's uh, seventh birthday party. We were at Red Robin. I ate way too many bottomless French fries, dude. So it's not like I won't eat that stuff, mm-hmm. but you, you just start to recognize and know and, and look at your body clock 45 minutes after you eat. Do you feel like you have an, better energy than than before you ate or, or not? If you feel like you're drained after you ate, look at what you ate and go, cool. Recognize that that drained your energy. Um, and so I knew I was going to get an energy drain that afternoon, so I didn't schedule anything where it required any thinking after that. But mm-hmm. yeah, main thing there is, man, is working on my body better. Yeah, energy is definitely key. If you want to be a high achiever, you got to have the energy to do it, mm-hmm. to be able to stay focused and, and stay in the slot. So we've made it to one of my favorite parts of the show, the growth rapid fire round, where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. Cool. What's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Man, um, Pumpkin Plan is one I've given away the most of because I think way too many people have yeah. way too many uh, commitments and we all need to have less. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a, a, a book that I think everyone should read is The Go-Giver. Uh, the Go-Giver by Bob Berg. I had him on the Carrot Cast, and it goes all the way back to that original thing I told you before is give before you receive. Everyone should read those two books. That book is incredible. It's definitely a game changer. Mm-hmm. From an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors, the people that you learned from or looked up to, and how did they influence your career? Yep, uh, do do similar thing. I think they all they all adjust as as you as you hit new levels. I think when you're looking to start a company, your mentor is going to be different than when you're looking to scale a company. Uh, so I've got a really good friend. He, he's in my office building here that I have two two uh, doors away. Mm-hmm. Seth Bueckley, amazing mentor and friend of mine. Uh, all the way from the business side to the faith side to just an amazing guy. So we get together uh, every Friday. Uh, and we, we, we compare notes. He sold two companies well into the tens of millions on the tech side of things. Um, and then outside of that, man, uh, I always have a coach. Um, not always. I started hiring coaches two years ago. Mm-hmm. Before that, I never hired one. And I wish I would have hired him sooner. So I've got a coach named Dan Martell. Just fires me up. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, all the way from on the strategy side of things, but also over onto the just accountability at the personal level, level as a father and a CEO. So Seth Bueckley, uh, Dan Martell, and of course my dad. My dad's just always an amazing mentor of mine and always will be. That's great. And from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Uh, three things, man. So right before this call, I had a breakfast with one of the guys who leads a big organization here in town to help develop it economically. So I live in a small town in Oregon, 25,000 people. And a lot of people wonder why we're still here running this company. But part of that is I want to show people you can make a massive difference in a community with the business. And so that's part of what drives me is I want to change, completely change downtown Roseburg and all of Roseburg and make it an amazing place where families can continue to grow and people continue to move here. Uh, number two, man, is is um, I want to be a great example for my kids. And that's something that uh, you know, my dad and mom were both great examples. My grand, my grandpa was an amazing example. And I think it's way too easy to get locked into this mindset as in business of I'm going to serve those out there, like those people out there, those people on the other side of this podcast, those customers or whatever. And we forget about these in front of us. Um, and you know, uh, being a good example for my kids is, is a biggie. The number three, dude, is I really feel that in general entrepreneurs, people listening to this, um, in general entrepreneurs, I think are running business off of a flawed mindset model. They're running business off of let's, let's go out there and compare our revenue to everybody else. And that's what makes happiness the stuff we've been talking about. And I want to flip the script on that. I want to flip the script on it. Build a business that gives you freedom flexibility. Got to grow the finances so you can make the impact. But people completely focus on one of the three, which is finances, and they forget that freedom flexibility is is important and the impact part of it's required. That's some really great stuff. And I have to say, Trevor, it's been amazing speaking with you and hanging out with you here today. Uh, Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Dude, a couple places, carrot.com. Obviously, we put out a lot of free content in the blog. And then um, Instagram, I publish a lot of like behind the scenes stuff on, on the Instagram side of things. And uh, my podcast, The Carrot Cast. Um, carrot Cast, you know, same thing behind the scenes at Carrot. Show you my journey on how we're growing the business. A lot of Trevor Truck talks as I'm driving home, talking through like a struggle we're having and how we got over it. So it's uh, carrotcast.com. That's awesome. We'll include links to all of that in the show notes and uh, really enjoyed this. Thanks for sharing your story and inspiring me. And I know you inspired a lot of our listeners. So I look forward to the next time we get to hang out.
Dude, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the invite. And, and guys, keep, keep on following Steven because when, when, when you, when you lock into somebody who inspires you, who introduces you to people that you resonate with, just lock into their community and, and stick with Steven. He's an amazing dude, runs a great, great business. And uh, you guys are in the right spot. So grateful to, to be a part of the community now, man. Thank you. Plus, appreciate you saying that. See you next time, buddy. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.